This is episode 79 of Just Because, the Human Experience podcast. I had on Vanessa Ruiz, who um, was a news anchor. She's working at ASU in the Cronkite School, teaching journalism, which is pretty fantastic. We talked about cultural representation in the news media, as far as people of color, women of color, women go. So that was super interesting to talk to her about and her experiences. We also traded stories about parenting. This little boy is gonna talk during the whole time, I guess. What? We traded stories about parenting, not sleeping, keeping a human being alive, and how fun that is for the most part. We also talked about what we're currently worrying about and it was just, it was just awesome. I, I'm, I'm really trying hard to, to reach out to different people in the community who are, who are doing good work and who are passionate about what, passionate in it, that's a word, about what they do. And so I'm really glad she made the time to talk. I'm really glad she's teaching these, this new group of journalists, these young journalists coming up, because I think we just need more people of integrity and people who, who look like the wider range of community and not one certain color of human beings, just so we could look at the TV or wherever and, and see ourselves. This goes back to representation matters. I also say um a lot, which is not great. Do you want to say anything? What is this? little boy doesn't want to say anything this time. Can you? My cup. So enjoy the episode. I, I learned a lot. Again, I appreciated her time, her words, sharing her experiences. And I just always appreciate when people are, are so willing to, to open up and, and share their story, which is fantastic. So enjoy. Do you want to say anything? You want to say it in the mic? He just wants to get to the episode. Disappointed. No, um, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm Michael Lobo. I'm here with uh, Vanessa Ruiz. Yes? yes. Okay, cool. Um, so I try not to do homework on guests beforehand. And then uh, my wife is very analytical and you need to read up on everything right beforehand. And she said, so who's on? And I told her. And so she started going, I go, dang it, you're reading, aren't you? And then um, we found the article where you were... Uh, like in 2015 about pronouncing words yeah um and she loved that and so she yeah. sent it to me and so i read it because uh, she yelled at me too um <laughs> i told her i don't want to know anything i just want to go in and talk to them um and i love um what you said about it and please correct me if i'm misquoting sure, sure. But, um if you said uh i'm just i'm pronouncing the words how they're supposed to be pronounced, and I love it. I did it. say that. Like I love that, and it's just—it's it, <laughs> that brought a, that brought a lot of trouble. I was wondering. Yeah. Um, do you yeah. mind speaking? No, a bit no. About that? So first of all, are we doing the podcast now? Yeah, no. Okay. See, those are those uh, blue lines. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah, okay, great. So going. we're rolling. That's us going. Yes. That's uh, you know, it's funny. That was four years ago this month. Oh, okay. And yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how many things have happened since then and yeah. how much things have changed in mm -hmm. my life and what an unintended catalyst that really was for mm -hmm. a complete 180 in terms of my work and mm -hmm. my profession 
and honestly, just my perspective, um, being an American and being Hispanic American, yeah. and what that means and what that looks like in 2019, mm-hmm. although back then it was 2015. Yeah. But I think it was definitely a sign of how things were starting to kind of percolate in certain areas. Right. So it was a really interesting welcome to Phoenix yeah. because I had literally moved to the city not even a month before. Oh, really? Yes. So I oh had I moved to Phoenix July 17th, 2015. And yeah. I, if I recall correctly, this happened in the beginning of September. I think either the 3rd or the 4th of September mm-hmm. is when everything happened. Yeah. And I'm... I'm guessing you were just talking right and then you just did it like there, there was no conscious i'm gonna make sure i hit these words no. and these letters a no. certain way it was just you being you that's right? correct yeah <laughs> that is correct i i was born in miami florida mm-hmm. which the weird thing in miami is finding someone who only speaks english Okay. Because it's so multicultural, yeah. and we have so many different kinds of people living there from many different countries, primarily South America, Caribbean, and some European. Mm-hmm. But I grew up speaking English and Spanish. My family is Colombian. Yeah, Actually, Spanish was my first language because I lived in Colombia when I was very young. And I went to high school in Spain. Yeah. And so I've always worked in those two languages. Mm-hmm. And then when I started my career in journalism, I've worked in Spanish media and I've worked in English media. And so I alternated back and forth. Yeah. Uh, finally, when I came to Phoenix, I did 14 years in Miami as a journalist. And then I decided that I was ready to move and continue to grow in my career. And so I moved to Los Angeles mm-hmm. and I was there for just over a year. And then I got the opportunity to come here and be the main anchor, one of the main anchors over at 12 News here in Phoenix. And I thought it was a wonderful opportunity. I didn't think twice about it. I had never stepped foot in Phoenix before, so it was a completely new experience from the very beginning. I didn't know a single soul. Yeah. So it was, you know, there it was a lot of changes, especially coming into the community. Uh, I was replacing someone who had been in that position for 31 years before me. Oh, yeah. So it was just a lot of things on, on my mind at the time, never imagining that the fact that I pronounced certain words in Spanish with a, a Spanish pronunciation mm-hmm. would cause the ruckus that it caused. Yeah. And that was really surprising, and I was caught off guard. I definitely was not anticipating it because, quite frankly, it had never really been an issue before in Miami or Los Angeles. And as you know, there's a lot of words in Arizona that are Spanish words, right? Yeah. Mesa. Mesa. Yeah. Uh, that was a, Casa Grande, uh-huh. uh, et cetera. And it was really interesting to wake up one day and realize that people were not too happy with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what was your, yeah, what was your first reaction? Like, um, did someone call you? Did Was there a meeting? Like, how, what is your... First hearing this. Yeah, let me rewind the tape. So my boss at the time, the news director, said, you know, we're getting calls and we're getting emails and I started getting some messages on social media with certain folks asking, you know, why is she saying it like that? Why Mm -hmm. is she pronouncing it that way? And she said, do you want to address this on air? I immediately (sighs) said yes. I, I Quite frankly, my thought process was I'm new to the city the viewers don't really know who I am. They don't really know where I come from. If they have questions about why I pronounce certain things the way I do, 
I respect the audience enough to say, here's the explanation, right? And get to know me a little bit better. And so I literally just framed it within that message. I will say, now, four years later, I can admit that I was defiant. I was defiant in what I said on air, and Mm -hmm. I don't regret it one bit Mm -hmm. because... I was being true to who I am. Right. And it would be weird for me, for Vanessa Ruiz, not for anybody else, because I cannot speak for anybody else, to say, for example, instead of saying Casa Grande, to say Casa Grande or Casa uh-huh. Grande. Yeah. My brain just doesn't work that way. Right. And so why would I change that? Mm-hmm. And so I said what I said, and then that ended up causing even more commotion. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> But, you know, it was a tough time. I want to say maybe a couple of weeks after that, I, to be honest, I went to work and I went to my house and it was from home to work and that was it. I didn't stop at the grocery store. I didn't want to stop and get gas because I was concerned. I was honestly afraid that maybe someone would confront me in person Mm and I don't know, maybe say some horrible things to my face um, because that's a lot of what was happening on social media. Thankfully, that never happened. Yeah. And as the weeks progressed, you know, it slowly died down. I mean, it went viral, which was quite the experience. I mean, I'm not used to yeah. being in the news. I'm used to communicating the news. Yeah. So that was an interesting position to be in. And I certainly welcomed me into Phoenix with a bang. Yeah. I don't think I, I realized so. what I did at the time and, and what it meant to a lot of people in the community. Yeah. I found it. I found out slowly as people came up to me or sent me messages and said, "Thank you for doing that. Thank you for saying that." Um, and so again, it just kind of it opened up a new path for me that I never really intended nor saw, but yeah. it was good. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, for how, how many years have you been um, doing news? And oh, too the, long. Too long. All right, in too long. <laughs> um, and that well, that's the when you were talking about how you know people could find you uh, in public. Um, I think that's one of the benefits of podcasting. If ever I post a picture, I'll just put Keanu Reeves as like, hey, it's me doing a podcast. But it's not, I'm not Keanu Reeves. I'm, or Good Lucy Liu. Like I'll just find different Asian celebrities and be like, hey, it's me doing the podcast. So then no one knows. I think if you dig though, you could find Keanu's a good choice. Yeah, I feel like, and he's, I think he's half Filipino. I don't know. I'm not I'm quite half, sure. I'm going to find it. But I'm going to find somebody. Um, yeah, good one. But, uh, for the too long, right? Doing. Uh, have you seen um, it, it? The environment or the culture of uh, doing the news uh, getting progressively better as far as accepting um, people of color or even women and women of color. Yeah. Uh, have you seen that over the years, or what's kind of been happening? I, I, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. So I think there's a twofold answer to that. Um, again, I can speak from my personal experience, yeah. right? So I was lucky that I started my career in my home market, as they call it, which is Miami, Florida, okay. which is kind of unusual. People usually tend to graduate from college and then they have to go to smaller markets and then middle markets and then maybe they'll make it back home, yeah. right? Depending on where home is. I was fortunate that I started in Miami and again, I worked in very diverse, multicultural newsrooms. That diversity was within Hispanics. So I worked with Colombians and Venezuelans and Argentinians and Cubans, Nicaraguans. And that was normal, right? Um, 
when I moved to LA, there was again a little bit more diversity. Then we started. I started working with African Americans and Asians. Um, when I got to Arizona, I realized that you didn't really see a lot of the main anchor talent being diverse mm-hmm. on air, mm-hmm. which was interesting to me because Phoenix is a diverse city. Yeah. Uh, I don't think though that I would be wrong in saying that there's definitely a lot of work that can still be done in terms of being integrated. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I feel like people here sometimes tend to live in their own pockets. Yeah. But to answer your question about whether it's better or worse, I will say, unfortunately, the data shows that there was actually more diversity oh within goodness. newsrooms um, and also in terms of women, uh, maybe 10 to 15 years ago than today. Oh. A huge reason for that is the 2008 recession. Okay. That really impacted my industry very, very hard. And a lot of the diversity programs that maybe newsrooms were having or media companies were having, those were some of the first things to go mm-hmm. when they were looking at ways to cut costs. Oh, my goodness. So, and, you know, I feel like that has certainly had a trickle effect and a direct impact in terms of the representation that we see in newsrooms nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's unfortunate. And then to top it off, I think it's a double whammy for women because at some point in our lives, some of us have to make choices whether we continue to grind as hard as we've been grinding or if we need to maybe reassess and take a step back because we want to have a family. Mm -hmm. And if we have a family and we're still working, how do we balance that and how difficult that is? And, you know, news is... 24 7 365 it's not a nine-to-five you work weekends you work holidays if there's major breaking news no matter what you're doing you have to drop it and go and you know so it's it's not uh, an easy profession I think for women in terms of once they get to that place where they have to decide do I want to have a family or not Um, and so that has also according to the data had an impact you see women 10 years into their career slowly start to drop off from journalism and Mm -hmm. a big chunk of that is one we don't make as much as our male counterparts yeah and two if I'm not making as much as my male counterparts is it really worth it to me to continue to work to pay daycare or childcare where I could be saving money and taking care of my kids at home Right. So a lot of women go through that process. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, guys have it easy. Um, well, and it's, well uh, I don't know well, if easy, we but... We don't have to... It's, <laughs> it's, it sucks. And then, um, yeah, with the, the pay gap and yeah. all those things yeah. uh, women face, it's... Um, Hopefully it's getting it's to, a little better. Slowly. So. I mean, slowly. Uh, slowly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, slowly. Um, so you said you moved out here um, by yourself. Uh where does that confidence or sense of self cut? Because I'm super insecure. And so I can't really? even go to the grocery store by myself. Like I'm, I, and so I you doubt. move to a city, but I'm good at faking it. Um, <laughs> how is that from your parents? Is that siblings? A hundred percent. Oh yeah. That is from my mother. Okay. So my mom, uh, she's probably the biggest influence in my entire life. Uh, She was a single mother. Mm -hmm. Uh, She had me when she was 22. And, I mean, I've never seen anybody with a better work ethic than that woman. I mean, she just literally worked herself to the bone to make sure that I never 
there was nothing that I ever did not have, right? We always had a roof over our head. We always had food on our table. Christmases were amazing. I mean, she just really instilled in me an amazing work ethic and also a lot of self-confidence. Yeah. Uh, she just said, you know, you could do anything you want to. She was a big proponent of education. So for her, not going to college was not an option because she unfortunately never had that opportunity. Okay. So she she was tough, really tough. She was very, if you ask her now, she'll, she'll admit it. I mean, she was really strict with me. Uh-huh. But looking back, one, I probably needed it. Yeah. <laughs> and two, I think a lot of sort of that confidence. And listen, I also fake it till I tell my students all the time, fake it till you make it, right? Because I think it's very normal to not always be confident and to have self-doubts, right? And to ask yourself, am I really good enough? Can I really mm. do this? Um, sort of that imposter syndrome, yes. right? Right. Uh-huh. I've had that 100%. Yeah. But I will say this, I'm always a big believer in regret the things you do, not the things you don't do. And so to pick Mm. up and move at 35 from a really comfortable life in in Miami, Mm -hmm. it wasn't easy, but I'm really glad that I did because I know now looking back, I I wouldn't change my life now for, for what I had back then to the things that I have now and everything I've gone through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you brought it up. Uh, so your students, you uh, work at ASU? I do. Yes. Oh, thank you, Google. Um, <laughs> uh, and you just started, right? Well, uh, I've been there now two years. Two years? Yes. Damn it, Google. No, um, no worries. <laughs> um, how has it been then? It's been two amazing. Years. Okay. And a lot of it, going back to what we were talking about earlier, Michael, about sort of setting my life in a different path in that entire situation with pronouncing things a certain way it really opened my eyes. Mm-hmm. I, I can absolutely admit that I was living in a bubble. Mm. Um, I, you know, when you live in Miami, when you live in LA, it's diverse. You know, you don't really have to deal with racism. And when I moved here and I went through that experience and unfortunately I realized that a lot, racism is alive and well. It showed me that, you know what, someone like me who was born here in the United States, who, quote unquote, was successful, paid her taxes, volunteered in the community, did, Mm -hmm. you know, checked all of those boxes, and I still got the hate that I got, it shook me to the core. And what it made me think is, man, if I went through this or I'm going through this, what can others who have not had the advantages that I have had, yeah. what are, what can they expect, right? What, what are they going through? And so that kind of shifted my brain. And I said, you know, maybe in a few years, I want to work with young people and I want to help bring that confidence, right? And that self-assuredness and inspire them. Uh, I saw maybe like a 10-year plan. Mm-hmm. Well, that 10-year plan became a two-year plan. Mm-hmm. And two years later, I was lucky enough that the dean of the Cronkite School, which is the journalism school at ASU, uh, offered me a position. And at first I was very hesitant because I had never taught before, right? I was a journalist. And so I didn't know if that was something I could do, but I thought, you know, I thought I'll do it for a year and if it works great and if it doesn't work, oh well. Yeah. And I'm happy to say that it's been an incredible experience. That's awesome. Yeah. What's been the biggest, um, challenge so far teaching teach yes 
Well, you're you're a teacher too. Yeah, my yeah. Um, so my but my challenges are avoiding sneezes. Like, <laughs> they're they're four and five year olds. They're like they're picking their nose and then they're like uh, high five. I go no no. I saw what you did. Go go get a tissue. Hold on. <laughs> then I'll high five you. Uh, so, but those are my challenges. Um, well, I don't have to necessarily worry about them picking their noses. I yeah. teach college students. Yeah. Um, I think just the teaching and what goes into that and Mm -hmm. the mental work of explaining and showing patience thoroughness patience yes patience right all these qualities that you know i was before only responsible for my work Mm -hmm. now i'm responsible for the work of a team of six to seven or eight student reporters Mm -hmm. almost you know every single semester so i'm sort of like their private news director in a way because we work in a newsroom environment, and so I'm with them shoulder to shoulder. But at the end of the day, the responsibility that everything is accurate, that everything is complete, that everything looks good and sounds good is, is falls on me. Mm-hmm. So that shift was tough. And then just quite frankly, learning how to teach and how to teach effectively and yeah. how do you talk to college students nowadays in a way that hopefully will make an impact and they'll remember and they'll yeah. want to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, now we're not even t- teaching millennials anymore. We're teaching oh. iGen and Generation Z. Okay. The millennials now are graduating. So now we're teaching oh, that's right. students yeah. who were born around 2001. Mm-hmm. And they're a very different kind of students and yeah. generation. They're incredibly vocal about their opinions and mm-hmm. what they believe, which I think is a good thing. But, you know, when you're dealing with something like journalism, you know, it can get a little dicey and a little gray. Uh, But I love it. I mean, they inspire me. Uh, They're still passionate about the business. And quite frankly, I think we need good journalists now more than ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially when the dude is uh, saying journalists are like the enemy of the state and then trying to denounce the work y'all are doing it's uh i'm sure it's can you if you want to you don't have to uh speak a little bit about that like how it's been um in the past few years since trump came into presidency if Mm. you don't mind i don't mind at all i mean this is something that we talk about with our students all the time because unfortunately now they go out sometimes and they're covering a story and they'll get you know, fake news or enemy of the people. So, of course, we have to talk to them about these kinds of things and how to handle these situations. I think it's really unfortunate. Uh, I, You know, I got into this business because I have a passion for journalism and Mm -hmm. I believe in its importance and I believe that, you know, for this fragile democracy of ours, it's one of those sort of intrinsic pillars that we need to hold the powerful accountable, to tell people stories, to be that voice for the voiceless. And so it is tough sometimes, right, to get attacked and demeaned. Mm-hmm. But listen, it's a, to me, it's a tactic, right? It's a tactic of distraction. Oh, definitely. And if anything, I feel like we've seen some of the best journalism, right, in the past few years because we are sort of... We've been put in a position where we can't afford to be wrong, mm-hmm. right? We can't afford to make mistakes yeah. because the first thing that will happen is we'll get called out, right? Mm-hmm. So I think 
we're more thorough now than ever. I'm not saying it's perfect and there's all different kinds of media outlets. And yes, some of them do have particular agendas and platforms, but there's also a lot of good reporting that's being done right now. Mm -hmm. And it does make the job a little harder. I'm not going to say that it doesn't, Mm -hmm. but it's still as important or if not more important than ever. And I truly, truly believe that. And, And that's something that I instill or I try to instill in my students. And I'm really gratified to see that most of them feel the same way. They're yeah. not deterred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's, that's a big thing is when the, the stuff you, you dream of being or you're working towards and then it gets challenged, then, yeah. then it's, uh, do I really want to do this? Do I, sure. do I really feel passionate about it? Um, so with your passion about being a journalist, when did that... Were you a kid? Were you a teenager? High school? Because I wanted to be a blanket fort maker, and I was good at making blanket forts and pillows and everything. <laughs> and then I found out that's not a job. Um, unfortunately, so, unfortunately, so I'm out. Uh, and then I figured out teaching so much later. Um, but where where did that fall in your life? Interesting. When did that start? So you wanted to be a fort maker. Right? Yeah. I went through. I wanted to be a UFO hunter. <sighs> Thank you, X-Files. Yes. That was my big thing. I was a total nerd. Um, But my father at the time, he he was an attorney. And so for a split second, I thought maybe I wanted to be an attorney. I would have been a terrible attorney. Uh, He kind of picked up on the fact that I was around 12, 13 years old, that I really liked to read a lot Mm -hmm. and that I devoured newspapers and magazines and I like to watch news. I like to be informed. I like to know what was going on around me. And he's the one that one day just said to me, well, have you ever thought about journalism? And I remember saying to him, I don't want to be stuck in an office all day doing the same thing over and over. And he said, I think this might be a good option for you. And you know what? I think, again, I was 13 and he's planted that seed in my brain. Yeah. And that was it. I mean, I went to high school in Spain, as I mentioned, and I came back to the States for college. And it was never really a question. I always knew that I wanted to go into communications and I wanted to go into journalism, which I know now I'm lucky because I talk to people and they're in their 40s and they're still trying to figure out. Right? What, yeah, their passion, yeah, no, yeah. right, what their passion in life is. And so I, I consider myself lucky that I was able to figure that out right. early on. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, um, so I'm in a fraternity at ASU, and I'll, I'll keep in touch with the younger uh, brothers, the fraternity brothers. Mm. Uh, and it's just been interesting for the past uh, 10 years that I've been a part of it, um, especially the way they communicate, the way they are is just so different from just even like ten, again 10 years ago when I joined um, different how different um, how do I want to say it um, <laughs> we so it's, this is going to be very like we're bad in Monday um, so I would work and I'd go to rehearsal and then I had a school and then relationship or other things and just how I guess the things I've learned, like time management, or just put things in a calendar. The stuff I wish I knew then, and so I'm trying to help them out, and they're just like, why would we do that? And I say, but guys, you, you need a calendar. You need to, or just you need to send reminder texts if you're planning an event with another organization on campus. You need to send emails or whatever just to, to make sure the communication's open. Um, but now, with social media, 
no one knows each other's phone numbers. They're like, yeah. oh, I'll send a snap. What's a snap? Excuse me, a snap? What are you doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'll just tweet them. Uh, and I go, what? And so <laughs> it's it's just strange. The, the way of communicating has changed. Um, even, uh, sadly, when we're at uh, a dinner or we're always hanging out, the younger brothers are usually on their phones and the older brothers are the ones talking. We don't have our phones on us. We're just, we're talking. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just so strange how different yeah. it is. It Even is. with uh, younger teachers at my school, um, and I'll ask them about their dreams, and I'm sure I come off as the, the, the weird older guy asking about dreams. Back in my uh, Back in mind, you don't know what you want to do. <laughs> um, and so the stuff they worry about, like dating or not knowing what they want to do yet, and yeah, I, I do think it's it's fortunate that you knew very quickly yeah. and you had a very supportive. Uh, fam- my family was not supportive, and they were like, "You need to be a nurse." And I go, "I don't want to be a nurse." And then, but all Filipinos are like nurses or you're engineers. The, you're the I'm second the... Filipino that says that to me this week. Oh, really? That that statement of actually one of our younger students uh, who has a Filipino background uh-huh. and she was sharing with me that of course her family wanted her to be a nurse of course and she oh decided to do journalism and yeah. that her family considers this something in the arts okay. which I thought was really interesting yeah. and, and they weren't quite on board with her yeah. being a journalist um, again because yeah. they wanted her yeah, to, be, to a be a nurse or something <laughs> and yeah so when I, I started doing theater or psychology or uh, podcasting or even teaching, uh, it was just uh, why don't you be a nurse, make it? And I go, I'm I'm 31. It's done. It's not I'm, gonna I'm, happen. That's not happening now. Like I'm, <laughs> it's good. I'm all right. It's I love teaching. Yeah, and so. Well, I um, you know it's funny you you say that my parents were supportive. I mean they were again going back to my mother. My mother, I think my mother just always wanted to make sure that I did something that I would be able to live on right to make a good living right and it it makes sense now right because she struggled so much that I'm sure she wanted to make sure her daughter was okay Mm -hmm. but if you know I think if I had had the opportunity I I think I would have been an artist too I think I think I would have loved to just I don't know rent some like rundown loft in Paris (gasps) and paint and live that life and I could have been really happy doing that too. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting, right? You never really yeah. know which way your life could have gone. Yeah. Uh, my dad passed away when I was 20. I had just turned 23. Okay. So unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to... I mean, he saw the beginning of my career, but he hasn't seen what has happened since. So I think he would have been happy. I think yeah. he would have been proud. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what kind of kid in grade school high school were you it sounds like you <laughs> oh, were like pretty cool um, no i was the class cl- i was the idiot right i was the class clown making jokes where where did i fall where did you fall oh boy so remember i told you i moved around a lot when i was a kid yes right so i moved from miami to columbia to spain back to miami back to spain mm-hmm. so i think the fact that i had to sort of adapt right to these new environments as I was a kid was a good thing because it kind of you know it it made me who I am in some ways being able to be flexible and adaptable to situations um and also because I encountered many different kinds of people growing up and so for me that was normal yeah right different cultures different traditions different languages normal 
Right. I, I was lucky again in that regard to have that experience. Once I came back, I want to say to Miami when I was maybe nine. Mm-hmm. I was in Miami from nine to fifteen. Um. I think I tried to be cool, right? Yeah. I think I tried to be cool. I was voted best dressed in middle school, and that was kind of nice. like That's my badge good. of honor. Yeah. But I was, I always felt nerdy. I always felt not a part of the cool kids. Um, okay. I don't know. I think maybe a lot of kids can relate to that. Yeah. Um, I like to read a lot. I was okay in school. I didn't have to try very hard to get good grades, mm-hmm. which looking back probably wasn't such a good thing because when I got to Spain when I was 15, that was a rude awakening, mm-hmm. right? It was like, okay, now you're really going to have to study. Yeah. Um, but that was a good thing. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I think I was, I, I would consider myself nerdy, but somehow, some way, I got by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I was, I was bullied in eighth grade. And that was a really terrible experience. Can I ask for what? It was just... Like what? It was these two boys that were also part of my school bus, mm-hmm. right? So they were older than me. I, they were in eighth grade, and I was in seventh grade. And they just bullied me. It was terrible. I remember coming home crying every single yeah. day. They egged my house. I remember that. You know, those are the things that stay with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they stay with you. And I and I think... Because of things like that, I never really saw myself as like a cool kid, you know? Mm, yeah. And I don't know. I always, you know, I had my moments, I'm sure, like every teenager. But yeah, I always try to be just chill and cool and nice to people because I, I had had that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a, I unfortunately had a similar experience. I, so growing up in Phoenix, um, the schools I went to, they were uh, predominantly Hispanic, a um, few African-American, a couple white kids. And um, I was always the only Asian kid mm. or like me and the Chinese kid. And we like, we got to we got to team up here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, our house got uh, noodled. I don't know what the verb is, but it was a bunch of cup of noodles and it was just noodles really? all over our house and our yard and our car. And I was like, oh, okay, so it's obviously someone who knows me or my little brothers. Um, How old were you when that happened? I was seventh grade. I think that's, what, 12? Yeah. Yeah, that's like 12 years old. Um, Isn't that that's a terrible like, thing? Like, put the... Like, it stays with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just... And we had to clean up all the noodles. Like, it... Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it And it's terrible because it... I mean, look, kids are kids, right? Right. But those kids grow up. Yeah, what right? are they doing? And hopefully they'll realize that what they did was wrong. I, I hope hopeful. so. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, so with teaching, and then I, I obviously talk to the parents because um, they're, they're four and five-year-olds. But uh, just the stuff I hear the kids regurgitate, uh, sometimes it's hateful or ignorant stuff. Oh. Um, how, do you, how do you handle that? I hand them chocolate and I say, don't listen to them. No, um, I say, uh, well, why do you think that? So I, I, one example is um, boys can't marry boys or whatever. And so I say, okay, who told you that? And they're like, mom and dad. And I said, okay, well, what do you think? And I said, oh, yeah, I don't think they should marry. What if they love each other though? And so, but then it's this weird tricky line where I don't want to tell them how to think. Right. 
Um, right. So I, I just try to challenge it a little bit. And so a big thing too is, is Santa, right? And so mm. some kids, there's always like three or four kids who know Santa's not real. And so, sorry everybody, um, Santa's not. <laughs> and, uh, and then the rest Santa's of the kids real. are like, what are you Santa's talking real? about? What are uh, you yeah. talking about? I'm, I'm just a crazy person. Um, and, uh, and so they'll get into arguments, and so I'll have to ask both of both the sides, you know, why do you think he's real? And they say this, all of this, and I'll say, why do you think he's not real? And then they'll say their reasons, mm-hmm. and I'll say, all right, well, as long as we listen to each yeah. other. And so uh, that gets super tricky. Or just, um, I had one, and this I think was the saddest one was, one kid told another kid they can't come over because their skin is brown. I said, oh, Wow. wow, here we go. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, my mom told me that they can't come over because they're brown. And I said, well, how do you feel about that? And I said, and they, they play together at school. They do everything. And I said, so then what's different about your house than school? Yeah. And then I could see them putting it together like, oh, there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Like they could come over. Mm-hmm. I don't know why my mom would say that. And I go, oh, okay. Wow. And it's... That is true. So the mean kids, I hope, do grow up to be better adults. Um, Me too. But I've seen a couple examples where... Oof. That's rough. Yeah. Yeah, that's not an easy situation. At least when I, you know, my students at that point... I mean, yeah, there's certain things that maybe you can have a conversation with and they might change their mind. But they're pretty vocal mm-hmm. and pretty set already in their way of thinking. Yeah. It's interesting. You deal with them like right at the beginning yeah. of their journey in school. And then I deal with them as they're getting ready to embark on their adulthood. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> we should compare notes. We should. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. But um, I mean, that's terrible. Yeah. My goodness. How do you uh, deal with that? If I don't know if the statements are ever like that, but um, when something kind of conflicts with you morally, yeah. how do you turn it into a so, teaching uh, moment? I will say I, again, I have not had a situation where maybe someone has directly challenged something I'm trying to teach or has said something racist or discriminatory, right, in one of my classes. Mm -hmm. I do hear that some of my other female colleagues have had to deal with that, Uh, you know, people in the classroom deliberately challenging and Mm -hmm. trying to be disruptive i have not had that thankfully okay Uh, have i sometimes wondered did i really get through to that person or why is that person a little resistant sometimes when i feel like i'm trying to teach them and they're kind of holding back i don't know it could be it could be me it could be my own head it could be just the way they are um i mean unless someone says something directly to me that is racist I can't, I, I, you know, I can't think that way. I just, right. I try to approach everybody the same. And one of the biggest gifts I think that I've gotten in this transition is I get a lot of, I get a lot of Hispanic students, okay. primarily young women who say, thank you for doing what you do. You know, I heard about what happened four years ago and it changed my life or I decided to come here because I knew you were one of the professors. That's great. I mean, that is so impactful mm-hmm. and it came from something that again, I didn't think was a big deal. Right. Yeah. And it just goes to show you that you really don't know sometimes the kind of impact that you can have on someone with something that you think is so small, but yeah. to them is so big. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it also says a lot about, again, some of those topics and themes that we've been seeing, unfortunately, surface in the last few years. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, so if I can be a voice of support, if I can be an advocate, if, if I can be an ally, and if I can be someone that hopefully these younger students can look up to and I don't say that kind of like you know patting myself on the back just because it's not easy you know I mean yeah you have to have courage and and confidence and sometimes I don't necessarily feel brave or confident but then I think about that young student and what they've gone through and I think no be proud be be proud of your roots be proud of where you come from um I don't, you know, I never want anybody to lose that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a hard thing, um, I think, to reignite. Because I've had a few students who just don't believe in themselves. And so just simple stuff, um, like math or whatever the activity is, they just already give up. And for me to try to build it up again from 8 to 4.30, my shift, uh, they still go home to whatever they deal with and it's going to get broken again and then I have to come back and rebuild and rebuild it to try to reignite that yeah it's I'm you know, sure I, very difficult thing. I have to tell you I always have respected teachers but ever since myself becoming an educator uh-huh. it's just grown tenfold yeah. right because if you think about it who else spends as much time with kids at that age than the teacher Mm -hmm. right and so to have a good teacher is so important right the the impact that you make on that child's life the things that you can ignite in their brain the way you can make them think about different things or maybe create an interest in something that might lead to right a job or a career down the road um and it always bugs me right when we don't give teachers the recognition they deserve. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's it. Interview's over. And that's what I wanted. No, um, okay, no thanks, I, 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 definitely, uh, I definitely agree. And I, I think I, I underestimated it too until I again I started yeah. teaching and I, I realized, gosh, I'm with these kids a lot. Yeah. And from Monday to Friday and then um, when I'm doing lesson plans on the weekend for the week and then I do it again next. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard, yeah. And then I, <laughs> uh, with with our son, um, he, I mean, well, yeah, he's two now. And my wife would sometimes take him to school. He goes to my school. And um, she doesn't see him all day. She gets home. He's awake for another hour and a half, two yeah. hours. And she wants to go put him down. And I said, yeah, but you didn't see him all day. Like, I get to play with him on the playground. I get to see him. Um, and then I take him home. So I'm with him a lot more than she is um and so now i'm trying to think wow if he didn't go to my school well eventually he won't uh i will only get to see him in the tiny bit in the morning yeah and then at night when he has to go to sleep and then you add homework when that kicks in and um friends uh friends friends his friends or his friends no his friends i was gonna say because i don't have time for friends yeah no do you have time I force it <laughs> really. I'm like, you're coming to the house. Hang on, me, and my son. Um, but no, that's uh, that took a big chunk out of the the pie. Yeah, I the... I completely relate to your wife because I literally, I mean, the clock hits five, mm-hmm. and I'm out the door because I only have an hour and a half with my daughter mm-hmm. Monday through Friday, right? Because she goes to sleep at seven thirty. Yeah. 
So I don't want to lose any more precious time. And I remember at the beginning, I felt guilty, right, for leaving yeah. at five because I used to stay till six, seven. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, one, thankfully, I work in a place where they're supportive of that. They understand. And two, you know, what are your priorities? Right. right. Working is important, absolutely. But being able to at least have that precious time with her, as I'm sure your wife also feels with your son, is, you know, you already feel like you're missing out already, you oh, know, yeah, on so yeah. much that you don't want to sacrifice that precious time. Yeah. And even when um, he started saying words... And no is his favorite. Um, <laughs> and just, I'll, I'll say, Serena, do you know he knows these words? And she goes, I didn't know. And then the fact that I see him more and I didn't know he could do this stuff. Like he hopped the other day. And I said, what? And um, but and that's the other thing is how excited. I don't know if you've felt this as a parent. Um, how excited we get when uh, he does really simple stuff. Yeah. And then trying to explain it to people who don't have kids. And I said, hey, he jumped. He yeah. jumped today, and they're like, yeah. oh, okay, that's, don't they know how to jump? Good like, for him. Good for him. <laughs> All right, cool. I don't I, know. I it's, flipped out. It's like parent code, right? Yeah. It's, it's such a, it's such a trip. It's such it a different experience than anything else, and you realize, oh, my God, I'm responsible for this creature. For this life. This yeah, little yeah. life, right? Um, but it's amazing. It's hard. Oh, yeah. It's so hard. Oh, it's terrible. No, it's I'm just kidding. so no, it's hard, not, it's but hard. it's amazing, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Like, when he jumps... My daughter the other day, um, she was drinking water, and she finished drinking water, and then she goes, ah. And I just looked at her, and I thought, where did you learn that from? Yeah. And those little things that make you realize, wow, you're not just some, like, you're an actual person. You're a human, right, yes. and you're growing, and you're at some point, you're going to talk, and you're going to have your own thoughts, mm-hmm. and it's it's a ride. Yeah. It's a ride. It is nuts. Yeah, yeah. It is nuts. Um, what's something... In, in your upbringing, uh, do you want to make sure your daughter experiences? Oh, boy. Uh, well, I, I think for sure I want her to understand and be exposed to diversity. Mm-hmm. Right? I want her to look at it kind of in the way I did, which was I didn't think about it because it just was. Mm-hmm. Right? I want her to think the same, and I want her to be someone who welcomes people of all backgrounds, of all beliefs. I think at the end of the day, if I can raise a child who is kind, Mm -hmm. and who is good, and who is happy, and who is healthy, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that sort of being a starting ground, and you know, I, I wrestle a lot sometimes now being a working mother. Mm -hmm. and not being there with her all day. But I hope that down the road she'll look at it and say, no, my mom did that. My mom worked, and she also helps raise me. Yeah. And I hope that I can inspire her to carve her own path, whatever that path may be. Yeah. Being an artist in France. Hey, if she wants to be an artist, I will support her. Now, I will tell her, you better be the best darn artist Mm -hmm. in all of France but if that's what she wants and that's what makes her happy then I'll support her yeah yeah um with I want to go back to journalism um with the news you would report have there been more difficult stories than others for you to 
All right, I have to report this. So what's the conversation you have when you're, I, mean, I don't know how it works, if you're handed like this is the story, mm-hmm. um, and whatever the prep time is of what you're going to talk about. Um, yeah, what is that process like? Mm-hmm. If it's, did I read it right? You, you had to, when September 11th happened, right? Okay, so then that, how do you... <laughs> Yeah, that was crazy because I had literally been in the news business just a few months Mm -hmm. and I had just turned 21 two months, like not even a month and a half before 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. And so I was young. I was a kid. I was green. And I had just started working in the newsroom when that happened. And I was working for a national network. So it was a big deal, right? It was all hands on deck. I remember that day vividly, clearly. I remember exactly where I was. I was in school because I was still going to college. So I was doing both. I was going to school, working full time. And I just remember getting up and saying to my professor, I have to go, you know, I have to go to work right now. And how do you describe literally the biggest news event? Right in the history of news events and thankfully i think to this point probably still the biggest one right we haven't had to deal with anything like that ever again until now um it was exhilarating and it was exhausting and i think it set the tone right for my career unfortunately news we tend to cover mostly a lot of the negative stuff right versus positive. Mm -hmm. There are some positives out there, but I would say primarily negative. And especially as a local reporter, I spent six years as a local reporter back in my hometown of Miami working for a really intense news station. Okay. And I can tell you that after six years, I definitely was burned out. Mm -hmm. I definitely experienced burnout and I questioned whether this was what I wanted to keep doing. And I think it was I think it was covering tragedies day in and day out so up close that got me to that point. And I think just a lot of them had to do with children and seeing that and seeing those parents, that really started to take a toll. But back then, back then, back in my day, you know, there weren't any conversations about self-care. Oh my gosh, none. Mindfulness. Uh Uh-huh work-life balance like that did not exist it was Mm -hmm. quite the contrary at least within newsrooms it was sort of a badge of honor like how much can you work right how much can you take on how little sleep you know you go off yes and and it was a lot of you chose this right Mm -hmm. so you don't get to complain right yeah thankfully now in 2019 at least within my students that is not the case They're very aware and they're very mindful of work-life balance and how do I get that in Mm self-care. I still think there's work that needs to be done in newsrooms Mm -hmm. across this country in terms of that kind of work. Mm -hmm. But I feel like with this new generation, hopefully it will get better. Now it's, you know, it makes sense because you look at the numbers and the data. I mean, it's it's a little soul-crushing. We're having a crisis in suicide rates Mm -hmm. among college students a lot of them are experiencing high levels of anxiety of depression self-harm right and so the conversation of self-care and mindfulness 
is one that I think is really important. And I'm, ha- and I'm happy that we're having that conversation more and more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I totally agree in that. Uh, so I, I started going to therapy recently and I used to go a few years ago. And when my mom found, I think it was the bill or the letter from my doctor, um, it was always viewed as, as crazy people. Mm. And my mom would, Michael, you're not crazy. Why are you going? And I go, well, that, that's a stigma. All right, so that's... Um, but yeah, the, the whole thing about mindfulness, as you're saying, just taking the time to take care of yourself mm-hmm. um, is huge. And, and fortunately, my, my director at the school is... is Because uh, my therapy's in the middle of the day, so I have to leave. And so figuring out coverage... Um, She's very open-minded in that sense. But yeah, I, I totally agree back then. Um, it was just, uh, just grind until your soul disappears. Pretty much. And then it's just like, <laughs> you did a good job. Yes. It was, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, uh, with your parents, there's this huge thing. Um, and I didn't, it didn't kick in until our son was born. And that I didn't appreciate, I, I knew my mom worked. I knew my dad did stuff for us around the house. And I didn't, I just thought, oh, okay, that's what they do. But now seeing how hard it is to work and then this and then that and then making sure he's good and then diapers and feeding and then uh, it's, a, I mean, it's a lot of work, obviously. Big, I, I, obvious are thing you of the and world. your wife just perpetually exhausted? Oh, yeah. Oh, because my There's husband just, and I were just like... It's just coffee, coffee all day. Oh, my God. Just, Oh, okay, man. so we're not alone. Yeah, no, no, you're not alone. There's, we're finding each other. Um, but no, yeah, no, it's it's exhausting. It is. It just, and then and then we have three dogs because we're like, oh, we're not stressed out enough. Uh, let's get three dogs. Uh, I d- I didn't realize, and that's one kid. There was there was three of us, and then and then later I found out there's a, a fourth in the Philippines. Uh, but for my mom, some of the four of us. Yeah. And then work full time and then yeah. just do all that and then my dad helping out it didn't kick in until later I said oh man I should be way nicer to my mom like it's so uh, funny you asked me that because I have been having these thoughts a lot recently you know mm-hmm. my daughter is only 15 months old so mm-hmm. I still like I'm I, I feel like I'm still pretty new That's, at this yeah, and trying yeah. to figure it out um you know I, I always have respected my mom a lot, right? In terms of, again, her work ethic and all of the values that she instilled in me. Mm-hmm. But I will admit that certainly I, I've had many times in the past where I've judged her, mm-hmm. right? For things that she did or the way she raised me. Mm-hmm. And now I look back and I just, it hits me so much harder, especially because she was a single mom. And the fact that, I mean, if you asked me, did you ever not have something growing up that you wanted? My answer is no. And so to be able to say no, it just shows me that she wasn't perfect, Mm -hmm. right? She was also trying to figure it out and just trying to do her best. But she always provided Mm -hmm. in abundance. And I feel like that's something that, I don't know. I just have to be so thankful to her for, mm-hmm. right? Because we never felt like we were poor. We never yeah. felt like we didn't, you know, we couldn't have something. And it really was all because of her hard work. Yeah. Right? And so it just hits me harder because I, like you were just saying, this is so hard, yet we have partners, mm-hmm. right? And we're doing it together. Yeah, I can't I imagine. I can't imagine doing oh it alone. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
I know. Um, so big, big props to all. Oh yeah. The single parents out yeah. there. Absolutely. Um, on a, on a bad day, people will ask, you know, hey, how are you doing? Or how, how's your son? And I'll say, oh, he's alive. Because my God, today was <laughs> something else. And they're like, oh, that's funny. And I go, well, I mean, cheese. But yeah, no, if yeah. I was, yeah, I yeah. can't imagine doing that. Doing it alone. Um, and you brought up something uh, that's kind of been wrestling in my head. And so it's interesting you brought it up. Um, when did you figure out that you kind of grew up uh, maybe less than compared to other people in society, how they would label you? Um, because I didn't realize it either when we were growing up. I mm-hmm. just thought, oh, okay, everybody lives like this. And then I, I guess I would compare more with, and I go, why can't I have that, mom and dad? And they go, oh, we don't have money for that. And I go, what? Why don't we have money? And so, especially now with with my students, where they're going to Disneyland every other month, or just just things they have. And I go, I didn't have that. Yeah. Uh, do you do you have a point in time or little reference points of oh I guess we didn't uh, um, I think because we didn't go to Disneyland like I think we fell somewhere I, in the middle okay you know I think I think my mom on the day to day was very conscious of not overspending and we mm. have to save money but at the same time like I said when Christmas would come around I mean she would just go overboard yeah. Or, or birthday parties. And, you know, my mom is interesting because my mom grew up in a tough environment herself. And so she's not very physically uh, affectionate, okay. right? She's not, she's not the hug, kind of hug you type. Mm-hmm. But the way she shows love and affection is through, here, I bought you this, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of how I grew up. And it's interesting because for a long time, again, right, what do we know as kids and as young adults? I always said, well, I would have preferred for her to give me a hug or tell me I love you versus buying me something. But now, as a parent and looking back and understanding her a little more, I know that that was her way of showing love and affection. So I'm not going to judge her for that anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? So, again, I feel like we fall somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, We always always lived in, like, decent neighborhoods – um, you know, in a decent place, but we we it it was never luxury. It was never right. riches. Yeah. You know, it was again somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I usually end with more random questions. Than, sure. Than, although I feel like it's always just random anyway. Um, <laughs> what are you currently worried about? Oh my gosh, what am I currently worried about? That I'm doing a good job as a mom. That doesn't leave. Yeah. I don't feel like... I worry about that all day. Not all day, but, it, you know, when you're at home at night in bed. Yeah. Going through the mental file cabinet of your life. I, you know, am I doing this right? Am I doing a good job? Yeah. Is she okay? Is she going to resent me down the road for whatever, you know? Yeah. I worry about that. I worry about our future as a country. Oh boy. Yeah, I worry about that's... that. I, I, you know, I'm hopeful. I, I'm a half glass full type of person. So okay. I always try to be positive. And I think that I hope that at some point, somehow we'll figure out a way to come to the middle mm-hmm. right? and, and try to heal some of these really rough wounds that mm-hmm. we have right now as a, as a nation. Yeah. 
I think about that. I think about the kind of country that our kids are going to be inheriting. Yeah, it's crazy, right? That's that's, that's a, yeah, that's a weird uh, <laughs> switch that clicks in your head. Is yeah, it's not so much kid. about you yeah, anymore. No, no, it's like, uh, what's it going to be like in five years for yeah, you? Yeah, and but I'm encouraged. I mean, look at these. For example, look at all the climate change that's true demonstrations yeah. and protests that just happened this past week. All of them led by youth, mm-hmm. by young people. So that gives me encouragement mm-hmm. and hope. Um, but yeah, those are the things that I worry about. And I also, I wouldn't say I worry, but I always try when I go to work to make as much of a positive impact as possible because mm-hmm. I feel that being in a position of a teacher and an educator, I look at it as a privileged position mm-hmm. because you are having the opportunity to make a real impact mm-hmm. in the lives of your students. And so I don't take that lightly. Yeah, yeah. There'll be... When I'm having a bad day, not, I don't have a lot of bad days. I keep talking I hope about not. it. No, no. Um, but and I, if I'm acting grumpy with the kids, I have to kick myself in the head and say, "This is their life." Yeah. And how I talk to them from this point, whatever this conflict they're trying to figure out, that's how they're going to take it, and that's that they're going to internalize that. Totally. So I, yeah, we have a lot of power in our power. hands as as teachers to really mold how they handle whatever this thing is uh, at the current moment. Absolutely. And so I have to tell myself to shut up and just help them through it and Flip then go the be grumpy later yeah. and deal with myself yeah. later. Yeah. Um, with the, the worry, um, the so my wife and I, were, we were folding laundry last night and she, we were going to go grocery shopping um, and she said, what if... Uh, uh, a gunman showed up at Walmart, and I said, "Oh, cool! Uh, what a great conversation to have." Uh, but it's it's unfortunately necessary, um, and I, I mean, we went through it. Like, what would what would we do? And isn't as, it terrible that you that, have that's, to that's think the, that way? And it, and so I asked her, like, "What? Why did you?" I'm glad we talked. I'm glad we're open. Like, we could talk about this stuff. And she said. I don't know if you saw the the Sandy Hook Promise um, video uh, commercial. So it's, I heard, oh wait yeah. a minute, is it the one? Wait, are where the talk, kids are, are getting, getting ready, ready for school? For school? Yeah, oh, like, I did see that. Folder. I and did then see that, and then, oh. and it happened, and it. We both cried when we saw it. Yeah, and yeah, the uh, yeah. I just uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. You know, it's such a touchy subject, oh, yeah. right? I don't know. But I do think that there's certain things that should be basic. And in oh, terms yeah. of safety, mm-hmm. right, and feeling like you're able to go out into public places and not necessarily be killed, yeah. right? And like, I, I feel like, yeah. Um, it's funny you bring it up because I find myself now, when I'm in public places, looking around, Oh, yeah. What's the nearest exit? Mm-hmm. What would I do? But quite frankly, look, you never know how you're going to react in a situation oh, like that. Oh, definitely not. Um, but it is a really, really unfortunate, sad, and troubling reality mm-hmm. here in the States. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it can't... When you're, when you're alone, right? It, you just, well, I'm going to run. But now I have my wife and my kid. So I'm like, what right. do I... And... I think it was it was her. She said, well, you're faster than me, so you just pick up the baby and just run. 
Yeah. And I said, well, you just lay down. Okay, we'll but, and, but here's the thing. You say that in a right. calm state. Right. But I don't know if you've ever been in situations where something is happening and your brain doesn't immediately catch up. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. So it, it takes a few seconds for mm-hmm. your brain to realize, for example, oh my God, it's a shooting. Mm-hmm. But in those few seconds... Yeah. Anything how far did happen. they get? Yeah. Just, yeah. So again, I, I, I just, we never know no. how we're going to react. No. Yeah. It's, it's really scary. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Michael. Oh, I'm so sorry. Is that how we're going to end our no, conversation? No, no, there's, there's five more questions. Oh my gosh. I need to erase all the shooting questions. All right. No, um, what movie can you watch over and over again without getting tired of? Oh gosh. Um, just one? Oh, you could name as many as you um, want. So I love Amelie. Ooh, yes. I love Amelie. I think it speaks to sort of my whimsical nature. Uh-huh. I love The Professional. It's a Luc Besson film. It's okay. with Natalie Portman and Jean Reno. Okay. Um, if you haven't checked it out, check it I out. Haven't. It's really it's good. Called it's called The Professional. It's Natalie Portman at 10 years old. And Gary Oldman oh is also in the movie. It's a really good one. Okay. And then, kind of cheesy, but man, I love this movie. I love The Notebook. You have no idea how many times I've seen I it. I love The Notebook, I and I can watch it. that movie over and over again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's the romantic in me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God, I love that movie. Um, what do you take for granted? Oh, gosh. What do I take for granted? <clears throat> My good health. Ooh, that's a good one. My good health. Yeah. I, you know, I re- and I recognize that, uh, and I think, you know, I need to go in for a checkup mm. just to make sure everything's working properly, mm-hmm. but I'm lucky. I, I don't, oh God, I hope I'm not jigsing myself by saying this, but, you know, I think good health is something that a lot of us take for granted when we yes. have it, and when we don't is when we realize that we're nothing. Mm-hmm. We're nothing without our health. Yeah. Um, favorite restaurant here in, in Phoenix. Phoenix. Oh. Yes. Mm, favorite restaurant. So I work full time. I have a 15 month old. Yes. I'm also getting my master's. Dang. I have a husband. Yes. Right. Not in that order, but yeah. it's all. Ma- so we rarely go out. Mm-hmm. Um. We do a lot of ordering in sometimes on the weekends, but again, we're just so tired. I'm having a hard time picking. I I wouldn't say necessarily a favorite restaurant, but I can never go wrong with Spanato's Pizza. Ooh, that's a good one. That's like my go-to comfort food. Always delicious. Yeah. Yeah, and Spanato's did not pay me to say that. I just just love their pizza. (laughs) Uh, Arby's paid me to say it. Go to Arby's. No, no, they didn't pay me. Um... What are you most insecure about? Oh my gosh. Um, again, I if I have to answer that, honestly, I would say even though I've had a successful 20-year career in news, I think I'm always second-guessing my capabilities. Mm. Again, you know, sort of a little bit of that imposter syndrome, like they're going to find out that I'm not as good as they think I am. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that self-doubt creeps in. Right? Can I do this? Am I good enough? But I just keep pushing and trucking yeah, how along. How do you how do you deal with that when that little voice starts 
trying to take I push you down. it away. Yeah. I really, I deliberately just say, no, I'm going to do this and I'm going to give it my best. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's worked out. Sometimes it hasn't, right? A lot of times it hasn't worked out. But the times that it has, it's been amazing. Mm-hmm. It's funny because one of my students just recently said, you know, how, how do I, how do, how can you give me that confidence that you have? Is what she said to me. And I just thought that was such an interesting way of phrasing that question. And I said to her, if I could bottle it up and give it to you, I would. But don't misunderstand either. I also feel insecure Mm -hmm. at times. I think it's part of just being human, right? I think it's just part of the human condition. So, yeah, I would say. And I think it also comes from striving for excellence mm-hmm. right always try you know just getting better at your craft that's something that i've always been very aware of yeah. so that's that's what i would say if, yeah. if i had to answer and so the last one so we're not ending on a super sad um <laughs> what song would you have played every time you entered the room if a song is gonna shoot out loud every oh time you God. come into a room what would it be um <laughs> It would probably be, um, I love God's Plan by Drake. That's a great one. That's awesome. I love God's Plan by Drake. I, I, first of all, I even though this may not be a popular opinion, I kind of love Drake. Yeah, I love, wait, I, love I, I love I love hip hop. Yeah. Um, I'm from Miami, so it's in my blood. Yeah. So every time, you know, don't be fooled, uh, I would say, because this is one facade, but you come into my car and it's like hip-hop and trap. Yes. Um, and yeah, I would say God's plan. And, if, and the video for that song, he shot it in Miami. Okay, yeah. And he went to a lot of the different neighborhoods that mm-hmm. I actually used to go to as a reporter and cover. Mm-hmm. And so it was really great to see him going back and giving back to the community yeah. there in Miami. So I think that's, and also it's just, it's just a good song. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that would be that's awesome song. my choice. Yeah. Uh, thank you for doing this. <laughs> thank that, you for having me. Cool. Thanks, Michael. This yeah. was fun. I can be a voice of support, if I can be an advocate, if, if I can be an ally, and if I can be someone that hopefully these younger students can look up to. And I don't say that kind of like, you know, patting myself on the back just because yeah. it's not easy, you know? I mean, yeah, you have to have courage and, and confidence. And sometimes I don't necessarily feel brave or mm-hmm. confident. But then I think about that young student and what they've gone through. And I think, no. Be proud. Be be proud of your roots. Be proud of where you come from.